Hello and welcome to the next edition of the Soccer Capital of America content series. Whether it's Twitter spaces, whether it's podcasts like this one, we at Sporting Kansas City are doing everything we can to create some content for you during this historic month of November 2022. And we are back with you today to get ready for the United States and England. What is an even bigger matchup than maybe we thought it would be going into the World Cup. Uh, the United States, because of the draw that they settled for against Wales, most likely coming into this match on Friday feeling that they need to get some sort of result to put themselves in a decent position when they go into the third and final game to advance out of the group. We are joined once again by our amazing A-level crew, Chad Reynolds, Connell McCourt, and Ali Trost-Martin. Uh, gang, it's great to see you all, and uh, I think we're all getting a little hyped up again now. we got a couple days away. we got Thanksgiving in between where we can fatten ourselves up a little bit and then, uh, and then maybe work off that nervous energy on Friday down in the Power and Light District for what is sure to be another uh, epic, epic World Cup watch party. So coming up on the show. We're going to talk about this game against Wales a little bit, but we did our post-mortem on Twitter spaces, so I think we're going to spend much more time focusing forward and maybe talking a little bit about what else has happened in the World Cup because there's been a lot that's happened in the World Cup. And then we'll, we're will we going to talk with Seth Sinovic, former, of course, Sporting Kansas City star and man who tried, who, who got some time in camp with the U.S. men's national team as well. And I know I'm sure he was disappointed not to make a roster, but still just to get invited to wear that U.S. men's national team jersey and train with those guys is something that a very select few of humans ever get to say they did. And Seth was one of those guys. So we're going to talk with him about his thoughts on the national team as well coming up. And then we're going to do our picks to kick, see if uh, we can catch up with Chad Reynolds, who had that Tim Weah pick for uh, game number one. So let me bring in the crew now, guys. Um, Chad, Connell, Allie, good to see you guys. And Chad, I'll start with you. I want to start with this. We were all very uh, disappointed and uh, upset with you conceding that late goal and settling for the draw against Wales. Since then, we have seen Argentina lose, not draw, lose to Saudi Arabia. We have seen Germany lose, not draw, lose to Japan. Both teams, by the way, like the United States, took a one-goal lead, if I remember correctly, and came back to lose those games. Does it make us feel any better to realize that a loss would have been so much more devastating than a draw? Like, does it change the way you look at what happened in the Wales game at all, what we've seen in some of these other games since then? Absolutely yes and absolutely no. Um, <laughs> absolutely yes because context is king, right? Now it's easy to say, hey, it, we're not, it's not so bad. That draw is not so bad. And you look around and you go, everybody else, it turns out winning a game in the World Cup is really difficult. It's like Andy Reid talking about how hard it is to win a game in the NFL and people take it for granted because the Chiefs are so damn good. Winning a game in the World Cup is really difficult. So, like, yes, like you look at what Argentina uh, – Preseason, one of the two two or three tournament favorites. Germany, the fourth favorite to win the, the tournament betting odds. And they both should have won those matches and did not win those matches, right? So, like, you feel a little bit better. But then you remember, hey, the whole thing kind of takes place in a vacuum. It takes in a takes place in a four-team 
get in or out of your group vacuum. And really what happens with Argentina and Germany doesn't impact it at all. So it's, it's funny. It's like, I do feel better and I don't feel better at the same time. I will say this, having slept on it and watched the game again, because I guess I'm a glutton for punishment. Um, I still think the U.S. performed very well in the first half, and I think it was tactical decisions, not on-field player talent or anything like that, that led to a one-point instead of a three-point result. And I feel confident that if the U.S. attacks this match tactically correct, they can get out of here with the result against England. So I guess I feel a little bit better from that front going into uh, into Friday's match as well. Just building off that unpredictability to show how crazy the tournament's actually been, there is, as of for the next eight minutes, there is still <laughs> one confederation that is undefeated in the World Cup, and that is CONCACAF. I mean, for Spain, eight more minutes. Yeah, Spain are doing their best to upset that. But it just kind of, who would have guessed that? that? The last undefeated team, their confederation would have been CONCACAF out of all of the, all of the front runners that you just named coming into this. Yeah, I, I'll agree with Chad. I usually lean a little bit more optimistic, as you all know. So I will say, like, from a, it gives you a, a perspective on it. Like, hey, a draw is better than a loss, as we all know. But because of the way that the game played out, it, it did feel a lot more disappointing. But Chad, like you mentioned, you got to get out of your group first. You know, it, it, you can look to these other groups and how their matches play out. And, and maybe it can make you feel a little bit better about how different results within your own group Um go but I, I still think that if if the u.s are unable to get out of their group for some reason to be a little negative here i think it will be this game against wales that you look back on as as the one that perhaps was the difference maker um for the united states yeah i but mean we still I, have two games to go so like i need to yeah down here. <laughs> we got a big game on friday yeah let's go let's that, like maybe kind of sweat a little bit just even <laughs> Why did I why did I put that energy out into the into the world? I don't know. Well, I think that that is a key in terms of the mentality of the United States men's national team. I like the fact that Tyler Adams took to Twitter and told everybody, "Hey, next game." Um and I do think that there is a brash confident attitude amongst this young American team that they I I think they they fancy their chances of playing against England. And you could look on the outside and go, well, that's naivety. Sometimes that's a good thing, you know? Um, but also I think the reason I put it into context too, Connell, you, you and I watch probably more of a, of Japanese soccer players than the average American, because there aren't a lot of Japanese soccer players in MLS. Uh, there's a few in Europe and, uh, the, the, the team that we like to watch Celtic, they, they have brought over a, a slew of, of Japanese players and, you see something in those guys that they bring to the table and they bring energy. They bring a collective spirit. They, be, they bring um, a, a never quit attitude. They bring all these things. And that was on display when they beat Germany. Germany was on the front foot. They're the team that's got the, the all-star roster with guys that play at Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund and Manchester City. I mean, you just go down and look at that Germany roster Japan's got some good players like the United States, but they don't have a roster that looks like that. And they fell behind in the game and they just stuck with their game plan. They fought, they fought, they fought. They were good at what they needed to do and they beat Germany. And that's possible. Those things can happen in the World Cup and it can happen with the United. I'm not saying it will, but it can. And those guys have to go believe that it can if they want to have a chance to do it. 
Definitely. And just on that note, uh, welcome to Celtic Yuki Kobayashi, who's saying today, another Japanese defender. So welcome to the club. Let's see great things. But absolutely, Nate, I think you have to go into this game. Look, this is the World Cup. Anything can happen. You can beat. I know the bookies aren't giving them great odds at the minute. The US are sitting just a shade under 5-1 to one to beat England, plus 490. Honestly, I think they have to go into this game with a mentality. We have to try and go out and win. There's no point trying to go and play for a draw and then we'll see what happens against Iran because that's always a dangerous game. You go into the game, what when you go down, if you go down 1-0, your entire game plans out the window. So I think they have to go in for it. And why not? We've seen that it can happen. Japan shocking Germany and then Argentina getting shocked. I mean, the mother of all shocks yesterday from Saudi Arabia. So it's not as if the blueprint is there. You can see that the the teams that are supposed weaker teams have employed their tactics and, and it's play, played out. Maybe it didn't work fully against Wales. I mean, but let's be honest, for 45 minutes, the game plan was working. The biggest contentious issue for me was playing Josh Sargent at the name, but playing Sargent at the name was what actually led to the goal. He's the one pulls road on out of position, opens up the space for Weah, and it's just a simple ball through. Weah has a lot to do, but he does well and finishes it well. So for 45 minutes, it was working. It's kind of the second 45 leaves a bit to be desired just because the way it played out. But I think the the US are going to be locked in going into this game and don't want to jinx anything. But personally, I think they can shock England. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's interesting. I always wonder, like, what like what everyone's like motivation is. Nate, we do a lot of conversations with with fighters who get ready to go into the cage and, and you talk to different fighters and some of them love the underdog mentality. They want everyone to think that they don't believe in them. They don't have a shot in hell going into that cage. And then you have another kind of mindset sometimes where it's like, I'm the best in the world. Nobody can take me down. I've already won this thing. I am like, so it's like, I, I always wonder like how individual mindsets because everyone's motivated by different things, how those come together collectively. And I'll be like, I don't really know um, too much about, you know, I haven't talked to many players on this USMNT. I haven't done a lot of coverage that has put me in situations where I'm talking to the actual athletes. But, you know, I do think some of that mindset is informed by experiences that you go through. Um, and I think for this US men's national team, a lot of those experiences have kind of put them at times in an underdog position. They've had a lot to fight against. Um, a lot of that is, because of things that none of them that had nothing to do with them. And they're the ones who are now tasked with, with this great thing. And I think that's led to them being a group that doesn't shrink into themselves. I think it's a group of, of players that, that do rise to the occasion. So I think for, for it, in that vein, I, I don't think that there's any reason to doubt that this team will be able to put whatever happened against Wales, any frustrations with how things in the second half played out the Walker Zimmerman, mistake in the box that led to the penalty I don't think any of those things come over into this game against England because I don't think that that's the type of team that these guys have shown everybody that they are and maybe that's just my read on it but that's kind of how I I, I perceive them and how they they handle you know adversity they have nothing to be afraid of anymore either they've played in the world cup now and and especially with the the playing England Everybody on the other side of the field, they've played against largely. I mean, you, you know, so many of these guys have, right? There was one yeah. player in the U.S. lineup in the starting eleven, at least, who who was an MLSer, and that was Walker Zimmerman. Everybody else has now played in a big league in Europe. I mean, it's that simple. And so, 
I, I don't think that the moment will be too big. I don't think that the opponent will be too big. Tim Ream goes up against Harry Kane and Raheem Sterling all the time. You know, yeah. like Sergio Dest has played in, in La Liga. He's played in, in Serie A. So he's not worried about the moment anymore. Weston McKinney, Juventus, we could go on and on and on, right? Like there's nothing scary about the opponent other than the, the, the badge on the crest, like the badge on the shirt, because it's a guy that they've seen. And like, yeah, Harry Kane is a really, really damn good soccer player, arguably one of the best on the planet, but you know that. And so there's no, and you've played against him and for most of these players. So there's no reason to be afraid of that anymore. You also now know you've got a, a different motivating factor. And I think it is, we do in some ways want to shock the world. We do in some ways want to prove that Monday was a fluke and we should have won that match. And I think that that, you know, you go in with a slightly different mindset now, because I do think that the U.S. looked not timid, not scared, but um, like they were willing to not drive the match in the second half. And and they let Wales dictate it. And I think that will change on Friday. They're going to they're going to dictate more or at least give more of a back and forth with England. Okay, I this brings up a point, and this will be the last point when we look back at Wales before we take a break here. And I, I but I do, I do find it interesting. This this concept that the United States took their foot off the gas and backed off, and I think, and I had a good conversation with Matt Beasler about this on a on a special we did on eight ten uh, this week as well. You could definitely second guess and say the United States should have stayed on the front foot. They should have attacked. They should have defended with possession. They should have worn Wales down in the game. And I think the more I think about it, the more I would have liked that approach because Wales would have gotten tired in the second half instead of the United States. But the approach seems to have been, and a lot of the postmortem that I've seen and read and, and looked at through social media, is that Greg Berhalter's attitude was our best chance in the first half, indeed the goal we scored, came out in transition. We talked about it beforehand, breaking down the low block against an organized big Wales team was not necessarily creating any chances. The only shot on goal the United States had the entire game came in transition. So Burhalter knew that, that Wales were going to come forward and that was going to create transition opportunities and we're going to kill them on the break. That quote I think has been out there that that's what Burhalter told his team. And it was Christian Pulisic who let those breaks die in the yep. middle of the field on a consistent basis. And we've seen some stuff from folks that say watching him at Chelsea, they've seen a lot of that. I don't know. He wants to put his head down and run at people. He's not the guy that needs to receive the ball in the middle of the field and then initiate the attack. Although his assist is the one that led to the goal in the transition moment the first time around. That does make me wonder a little bit, were the tactics wrong or was the execution wrong? If they get one of those counterattacks and score a goal, it changes everything in the game. They didn't. So we sit here and we, we, we parse it. And the question to me becomes, if that's true, and I haven't gone back to watch the entire second half, I do remember moments in my mind of the game where it's like, oh, that was a, that was a transition moment and they didn't make the right pass. Should Greg Berhalter make a personnel decision? Can you bench Christian Pulisic? Should you bench him? Should you bring in Gio Reyna instead? What, how do you guys react to all that? I'll start with you, Chad. I, I you know, it's funny because one, one of the player, Pulisic, there's two moments specifically. And I did, like I said, unfortunately, rewatch that whole match. There's two moments specifically that Pulisic looks like he had his head down and he didn't have his head up and he could, could have pulled the trigger. The big one being there was a chance where you had a 3v3 break if you break right and Tim Weah is streaming into the channel on the right side and it's actually a pretty easy ball if Pulisic has his head up. 
There's another moment, though, where Yunus Musa does the same thing, where he brings the ball back instead of going forward. And I, I'm a big fan of Yunus Musa. I think he brings a lot to this team. I did not think that was his finest performance on, on Monday. And to me, Nate, the answer is no, you can't bench Christian Pulisic, but you can change the way you approach the match with Christian Pulisic and his role in it. And my answer to that, and, and we'll get into picks to click and all that other stuff later, my answer to that is you put Gio Reyna on the field and you put Brendan Aronson on the field and you have them both on there with Christian Pulisic. And I think that means that Aronson plays underneath as a 10 and your two wingers are Reyna and Pulisic. And then the question becomes, how does Timo Weah fit into that? What do you do with the nine, et cetera, et cetera. But like Gio Reyna made no bones of the fact he was upset he didn't play. Greg Berhalter had to hear that. And his response is either going to be, I'm going to put a motivated guy on the field or I'm going to bench a guy because he he was, you know, a bit of a uh, talking back or whatever you want to say, right? I think you're going to put Brendan Aronson on the field. You're going to put Gio Reyna on the field. You're going to keep Timo Way on the field and you're going to keep Christian Pulisic on the field and you're going to play for the moments in transition and you're going to let Brennan Aronson lead that moment in transition rather than Christian Pulisic. And it changes the way you play. That's maybe it's a hope, but that's where I would go. No, I like that a lot. And I will also give another reason why I'd love to see Gio Reyna on the field beyond his talent, his, I think, like you said, will be a motivated guy given what his comments were after not getting into the game against Wales. Um, I also would like to see anybody else take set pieces. My God. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Could that have been a like more lackluster set piece performance? And Gio Reyna. I, maybe Christian Pulisic was just a, a hair off that day. I, I don't know if there was, it, you know, they're they're playing the ball into a Welsh back line that is big, athletic, but like you've got two main targets back there in or you know in the box and in Walker Zimmerman and Weston McKinney. It just didn't really felt like they ever had a dangerous chance coming off of a set piece opportunity and in tournaments set pieces are so important. So I think Gio Reyna, you get him into the game and you give him that responsibility, which then I, my next question for you guys, if you have Aronson leading the transition and Gio Reyna leading the charge on set pieces, what becomes Christian Pulisic's most important um, contribution to the game for the U S men's national team? How do you want to see him factor in what plays to his greatest strengths? If, if those guys carry the weight in those areas. I actually, I want to defend Christian Pulisic a bit. Like, I think he's getting all sorts of abuse. You have to remember as well, the first first couple of minutes, they kicked lumps out of Pulisic. The very the, the whole way true. through the game, he was the most foul player. And he t- you could tell, Wales were told, he's the danger man. Anytime he gets the ball, hit him hard, hit him early, let him know you're there. And I don't know if, watching it back as well, I only watched the highlights back, but anytime he got the ball, he was kind of nervous that he was thinking another clatter was coming his way. So I think he was trying to keep his head down. And look, maybe I'm just making excuses for him there, but I thought that, yes, his set pieces weren't great. He didn't even have the best game, but he was constantly trying to force the issue. I think it's would be absolute lunacy to, to keep him on the bench. Personally, I don't think Reyna Agreed. starts in this game. I don't think he does. I think Reyna needs to grow up. Um, I, 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 I think he's a, a worldly talent. I think he needs to grow up. I think he needs to mature. And, and, and that's not, a, that's not an insult to how old is he? I think he's 20, 19. Yeah. I think he's it's 20. Not, that that's not an insult. That's not an insult to say that a 19 year old or 20 year old needs to grow up. We, we all kind of need to grow up in life, you know? And, um, 
but I, I do think that I think there's a maturity thing there. And, and I don't think that speaking out like that helps anybody in these situations. And I understand the feeling. Um, but you know, one of the best things this team has going for it is that everybody seems to be on the same page. And Rain is the one guy whose body language doesn't always seem to indicate that when I watch him play with the national team and you can read too much into body language, or sometimes you cannot read enough into it. And so I think I'm with you on that. I think, and I think I'm really glad you made the point. Cause I feel like remiss in saying that they, the way you should judge players in sports, in my opinion, oftentimes is how the opponent reacts to that. Yep. That player. We talk about the Chiefs when they had Tyreek Hill. Teams changed their defenses because of him. They had to because they knew they couldn't account for him. You know, that makes him a game changer. Yes, the Chiefs offense is still great without him, but look at what the Dolphins are with him. You know, and Christian Pulisic is the focal point of the other team. And those are guys that know him well. And I'm not one to bitch about refs. I'll bitch about the ref a little bit. The U.S. did not get a friendly whistle in that game. He got zero protection whatsoever. Zero. And they knew when they were getting away with it early, they knew they could keep doing it. And, Nate, it's a a case of, again, a lot of the times, how often do you see it in sports where the best player is the one that didn't play? Because the U.S. didn't get – because they didn't get a result, it's suddenly, okay, well, what were we missing? Were we missing – I'm not – look, I sound like a Gio Rene hater there. I'm not at all. I just don't think – I don't – I think if you – Pulisic's your best player – I just want to reframe my question because I didn't mean it as in Christian Pulisic shouldn't be on the field. It's more so just how can you then account for the fact that teams are probably, England included, going to target Christian Pulisic the way that Wales did and got away with it. So You put other targets on the field. Yeah, I, I think I think your point is great, Allie, and I think that Pulisic needs to get the ball out wide and run at people. Yep. I think that you want him in that Johnny Russell situation as often as possible. And the ref might give yellow cards. He might not. But imagine getting England's uh, right back on a yellow in the first 15 minutes the way the U.S. had to play on a yellow in the first. You know, Sergio Dest mm-hmm. had to play with a yellow in the first 15 minutes. Those types of fouls, set pieces, can change games. And so, yes, I mean, I think that – that is where you want, and I, I talked to Beasler about that as well, and he said the same thing. He said, look, that guy is a problem when he has the ball at his feet. And everybody, mm-hmm. every defender in the world yeah. knows it. The best defenders in the world know it. He can skin any of them. And so that's why you want him out there. And I think that's, they just not, they got to find ways to get him in that position. And, he, and, and you know what? Heavy is the head that wears the crown. Mm-hmm. You don't think they try to kick Lionel Messi everywhere he goes? And I'm not putting Pulisic in, in Messi's, you know, category, but I'm just saying when you're the best relative. player, they're going to foul you. They're going to kick you. They're going to do everything they can. And I know, I think Pulisic knows that. I, he, he's played in CONCACAF. This yeah. is anything new to him. <laughs> you know, he's been kicked all over the, the Central America, you know. And so I think he's going to be up for it. And uh, let's go ahead and take a break on that note, guys. Let's bring in Seth Sinovic next. Then after we talk with Seth, We'll kind of give our predictions of what to watch for in our picks to kick as we're getting you ready for the United States and England. Great conversation here. I'm loving this. Back after this. And we are back on the Soccer Capital of America podcast series for the World Cup as we get ready for the big one. The United States versus England. The Revolutionary War revisited this time on Black Friday, the day after the most American of holidays, Thanksgiving. 
I guess the only thing that could make it better is if it was like the day after Independence Day or something like that. But the United States will be taking on England at one o'clock on Friday. And uh, we have a special guest on the show now. Guys, uh, a person, as as we've already discussed, I've been working on having on for weeks and weeks. I mean, uh, it's all kinds of preparation to get Seth Sinovic on the show. Or I just surprised you all when, as we opened up our computer software, the lovely smiling face of Seth Sinovic just popped up as a surprise to all of you. Because I want to see if you guys are ready to really interview this guy um, and, and he's wearing a chief's hat. He had, you had a Liverpool hat on earlier, Seth. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Is that your squad, by the way, you Liverpool guy? I didn't realize that. That's my squad. It's uh it's been a fun, fun run, uh, compared to Arsenal as of late, but now Arsenal's kind of turning the tide. So I'm sure you're happy there. What was it like watching your squad get beaten by a bunch of Americans at Leeds United? I mean, was that a mixed emotion thing for you? Tyler Adams out there, Brennan Aronson, Jesse Marsh running up and down the side. Those are those are Americans. You can't cheer against those guys, can you? No, I, honestly, that was kind of a, a bittersweet one. Um, I enjoyed that. Leeds is kind of fun to watch play. Um, Jesse Marsh, Marsh has kind of brought that Red Bull style with him, and they press, and I mean, if nothing else, their games are entertaining. So I'm, I'm rooting for the Americans. All right, so that Leeds United uh, match might be a good little preview for the United States versus England, which we'll get to in a moment, Seth. But before we do that, I want to talk to you about the, the first game, England versus Wales. Uh, I understand from talking to Matt Beasler that the two of you were watching that game together with your old club soccer team which was coached by a couple of Welshmen. So they were happy at the end of that thing. And I think we were all a little deflated that they didn't walk away the United States with three points. What was your biggest takeaway from the game? How did you leave feeling about the U.S. after that one? Yeah, I think the first half was obviously for the ones that watched. Uh, I thought the U.S. played well. They were on the front foot. They, um, I think we would have liked to see more chances created. But overall, I think they, they dominated the first half. And then – Second half, obviously, things were flipped. Uh, Wales kind of dominated the play, created a lot of chances. And, you know, I don't know if that's a, an experience thing. Um, I don't know if it's just the fact that Wales has good players or um, or what it was. But for whatever reason, things kind of turned. Um, I, I'd say overall, it's a pretty positive performance, minus a, uh, you know, you know, it was a good play by Bale to draw the penalty and, um Minus that, I thought they that, thought they played pretty well. And Wales is not a pushover team. They've got they've got a lot of good players, and I, I think people have expectations for the United States team. But you know, I, I don't know if everybody is as familiar with Wales as is most. But th they've got some good players, so that's not a uh, that's not an easy game by any means. Seth, you uh, th this is an interesting thing. We talked a little bit about that Leeds Liverpool match, and and all these guys at Leeds who play in the Prem, whether that's you know. Um, Brennan Aronson, Tyler Adams, you've got the Fulham duo of Reem and Jedi Robinson. You played a lot of soccer with a lot of guys over the course of your career that you saw over and over and over again. How much does that familiarity become important in a tournament like this, in a match like this coming up Friday, where you've got Reem and Jedi, Adams and Aronson, you know, how much does familiarity come into play in a game like this? Yeah, I mean, I can't speak to Burhalter and his, his thoughts on that, but my personal experience, it, it makes a huge difference having that familiarity with who you're playing against. Uh, you know, we were talking about Gerso a little bit earlier. You know, the first time I went up against Gerso in practice, he's 
I mean, just made me look stupid. But the more you get used to playing a guy, you understand tendencies, you understand, um, you know, your strengths versus their strengths and your weaknesses versus their weaknesses. That makes a huge difference in my opinion. So I think that familiarity makes a big difference in games like these. So, um, you know, whether it's Wales or whether it's England on Friday, um, I think having guys like Aronson or Adams, um, you know, having that knowledge of some of the players and having played against them should be helpful. And, you know, it's probably helpful for England on the other side too. So, um, yeah. Uh, Seth, with uh, Walker Zimmerman, obviously you played a lot in MLS. I don't know if you ever came up against him. He was the one that was at fault for the uh, for the penalty, conceding the penalty. Just what would be going through his head at the minute, and especially going into this England game, is that does it, is that cause for like trepidation if you make a, a, a big mistake like that, or is it kind of just get your head back down and try and get on with it? Yeah, I, it's tough to say. I, I like Zimmerman as a player a lot. I think he's arguably our best center back um, right now. Um, Reem obviously had a very good game too, but yeah, I think he's played enough games. I'm sure he's made mistakes in the past. I'm sure he's given up PKs in the past. You, you have to have a short, short memory as cliche as that sounds. Um, or as Ted Lasso would say, have a memory like a goldfish. So um, I, I think that he's, I, I think he'll get over it quick. Maybe he's thinking about during the week leading up to the game, but once, once the game starts, you don't have time to think about those things. So I, I would imagine he'd get over that pretty quick once the game starts. Seth, I want to go back to what you were talking about with that familiarity and it really, it does benefit both sides, but, you know, in addition to what the, what those guys will bring, um, you know, on the field and in terms of what they know about some of their opponents, how can they help the rest of the team in the locker room and some of those pre-match meetings, giving insights into tendencies and things like that? I know over time you, you play with so many different guys, like you mentioned, Gerso, you just get used to little things that they do in training. How do they kind of provide that upper hand for their teammates? Or do you have an experience where you can kind of compare uh, what that situation might be like? Yeah, I think part of it is having the familiarity and, you know, hopefully sharing tendencies that you know about certain players. Um, part of it is just having the confidence knowing that you've gone up against these players and had success. And, um, you know, hopefully that confidence kind of bleeds onto the rest of the squad. So uh, I, I think it's a little bit of both, to be honest. We're visiting with Seth Sinovic here on the Soccer Capital of America podcast series. Seth, what are your plans on Friday for this U.S. Uh, national team game? Be careful, uh, Seth. He's going to rope you into hanging out with him no, if you don't answer I, correctly. We, we've already talked about this. Uh, so, um, Matt Beasler and I, for those that you don't know, are involved with a company called State Soccer. Sorry, my dog is growling at me because he wants me to play with him. Uh, involved with a company called State Soccer. We are hosting a uh, World Cup watch party throughout the week at uh, Messenger Coffee, and that starts at 10 a.m. But then we're pushing everybody up to power and light for the U.S.-England game, where we're going to have the best MC in the business on stage uh, getting the fans riled up. So come out and see Nate at uh, Power and Light. Hartzell Gray? Yeah, I was going to say, no, Hartzell's <laughs> actually got to show up for one in Fair. order to, uh, yeah. to be the best MC. He's the best MC to not make it on stage. But I was, <laughs> I think he was talking about you, Allie, because Allie's up there uh, showing up. I saw a video of Allie's dance moves uh, yep. making its way around the uh, social media channels and all that. So It's, it's um, really I'll, unfortunate, I'll, just all of the all the cameras that are now just at every event. Hey, speaking at. of cameras, shout out <laughs> Connell McCourt for getting the shot of the day that made – Connell's shot is the shot from the uh, watch parties that made its way all around the world on Copa 90. So it was his camera. Hey! But yeah, there you go. 
I need. That's I don't incredible. think I'm aware of this. Which shot is it? I is, this is a still shot. No, the celebration of the fans after the goal. Okay. From up on the bridge, looking down. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay, I got it. So I'm kind that. of a big deal now, Nate. But yeah, whatever. Just what do you mean now? You, you're right. you've always been a big deal. <laughs> yeah. So special right. guests, Seth yeah. Sinovic, and kind of a big deal, Connell McCourt. On, yeah. our, on our pod today. On a side note, though, how cool is that, that we have the power and light and we've got a Monday during the week and it's, you know, packed shoulder to shoulder. It's awesome. That's that's such a good experience for Kansas City and it's a, a great way to show off to the rest of the country. I mean, guys, we're doing like, I, I, I just looked, we did more than a thousand tickets yesterday for Friday and it's flying again today. So the, we can't emphasize enough. Get there early. Gates are going to open early. They're going to open at 1030. It's going to be bonkers down there on Friday. And you have to have tickets. You know, they're free tickets, but you do have to have tickets to enter. So make sure you go to sportingkc.com, download those suckers, and, yeah, get there early uh, so you don't get turned away. But I, I think, Seth, you know, it, it's it's a great point that you make um, because I think part of the reason we're all so wound up about this game, for one, it's just the World Cup. I mean, you don't really need much more of a reason than that. But the future of the sport always feels at stake. You know, like when you're, it's kind of the lot as an American soccer fan where every single moment seems like, okay, this could be a transformative moment in how the sport that we love is viewed in this country. And obviously missing out on the World Cup four years ago was was devastating to those of us who love the game because it was for, for many reasons. Um, getting to the World Cup is massive. Uh, for the city of Kansas City, to to put this on display for all of us to show the the whole world the kind of passion that we have as a community here and it's cool to see the building blocks of things like that and obviously like the teams you were on with Sporting Kansas City I mean we'll go back to 2013 winning MLS Cup going right into the World Cup in 2014 when your buddies you know Graham and and Matt were there you were you were part of the training camps you know you got to go into the training camp with the US men's national team as well it is pretty wild to see. And, and when you want to talk about like what type of an impact do these watch parties have? Well, the world cup's coming here in four years and that had something to do with it. My, I don't know if it was 1%. I don't know if it was 0.5%, but it was part of it. And we know because Chris and Angie long have said it, that those watch parties for the women's world cup in 2019, that they were watching in France broadcast to the world were why they brought a woman's soccer team back to the Kansas city, which is about to build the, the first ever all women's soccer stadium in the world of its kind. You know, that's all like these, these things actually change the landscape of the city that we live in. And in addition to creating these great moments and it's exciting to have you there. And I'm curious for you, Seth, like you're not the kind of guy that's ever going to pat yourself on the back, but do you, do you take a little sense of pride and like, man, I've been kind of a part of this. I've been a part of what has inspired people in this town to, you know, to, to throw this support behind the game. I, yeah, I definitely take a sense of pride, you know, not only in the soccer side of things, because, you know, it, it went from what it was and I'm drawn, I'm so old. I'm thinking about the years, but uh, 2012, I think is when the stadium opened and, you know, you see, what what we used to have with Arrowhead and with uh, Community America Ballpark and what just a stadium and investment behind the stadium and a good good team on the good product on the field makes a difference for the team and um, it's funny I, I'm kind of going to go on a little bit of a side tangent here but uh, I was at a um, 
annual development con uh, conference for Kansas City uh, last week at Downtown Convention Center. And they had a, um, the keynote speaker was, um, his name's Omar Johnson, I believe. I don't know if that name rings a bell, but he um, uh, basically was head of marketing for Beats by Dre for a long time and was a huge uh, influence in how beats grew and you know you think about the world uh the olympics and you see like michael phelps wearing the big beats headphones he was like huge in implementing that stuff anyways he came in to speak and he talked about kansas city and the first thing he mentioned was we are a passionate sports town and that is really cool to see and you can see that not only with sporting but with the chiefs and the royals fans will come out in droves to come come watch their city because we have we're a very prideful city and Things like the Royals World Series Parade, the Chiefs World Series Parade, sporting just blowing up from 2012 through now and selling out games back to back to back. That makes a difference in getting things like the World Cup, the NFL draft. And that's that's really exciting to be a part of a city um, and to grow up in a city that has gone from what it used to be to what it is now. And I, I mean, we're only going to continue to grow and there's not Kansas City's not as big of a secret as it used to be. So, and it's only going to get better with the World Cup and NFL draft and things like that. So, yes, I'm very prideful about Kansas City and very prideful about um, the success we had at Sporting. But it's not just play on the field; it's everybody. It's the passion of the city. It's the passion of our own, the ownership group. Um, all those things combined. I, you know, it's funny, Seth. Allie and I were actually both in that room too. It's amazing we didn't all run into each other because I know. Yeah, there were there were, there were like fifteen hundred people. Um, mm -hmm. The thing that stuck with me from Omar's speech was how infectious that pride and passion was the moment he landed in Kansas City. Like he started talking about how he just he felt it the whole time he was here. And I keep coming back to I think I think you're two or three years younger than me, but we grew up playing youth soccer in this city at the same time. I look back at my youth soccer career going to games at Arrowhead and being like, I wanted to be a pro. I was never as good as you were, but I wanted to be a pro. But that wasn't the dream was playing at Arrowhead. Like the dream is what we have now. This was everything we ever dreamed of. And a city like this that cares about the sport the way that it does is maybe even beyond my wildest dreams as a 12, 13 year old soccer player. And, you know, Nate said it, you played a role in that and you should be proud of that. And guys like you and Matt Beasler being the homegrown guys, you guys really should be proud because I don't think sporting becomes what it becomes without some of those narratives to talk about. And then I don't think this city buys in the way that it does without some of those narratives to talk about. And what you became as a part of the, the Kansas City, not just the soccer community, the sports community, and then that made the soccer community a larger part of the sports community. I don't think it can be overstated in, in a lot of ways. And these watch parties, how those have blown up are just another example of like, nobody cared about the World Cup in Kansas City until we made it a thing. And now that it's a thing, holy S, is it a thing? We should all be really proud of it. But honestly, guys like you and Matt should be should be extra proud. So I kind of want to build on that and just then turn it into a question for you, Seth, because I had the chance to actually interview my great uncle Al Trost earlier today for a new podcast I just launched. And Al came up um, through like he was primarily part of the U.S. men's national team during like the 70s. And so I, I think what's so interesting when like the World Cup rolls around, it, it kind of drives this desire for American sports fans, soccer fans specifically to kind of dig back and like really go back through the history and, and see where they've been and where they are now 
and all that's changed and transpired, the, the, the hardships, the successes. And I asked him how he would define his generation in American soccer and, and what they meant to the, to the bigger picture. How would you describe your generation in American soccer and what it now means to the bigger picture of where this sport is going here in the U.S.? Yeah, I, it, it's almost cool to play soccer now or to be a part of it. it it's become a cool thing to go to the sporting games, you know, um, you go to, I mean, there's nothing against Arrowhead or the Wizards in the past. It's just, we go to the game, we go as a club team. We're playing soccer tennis with the, um, with the uh, parking lines in the, in the, uh, in the parking lot. And yeah, we're, we're going there. It's a family experience. Um but it's, it wasn't cool to go to the games. It, soccer has become cool in the United States and in particular places like Kansas city. And so I, that's probably not the best term or word to use for it, but um, I don't know it's become a cool culture to be a part of. It's become a trendy thing to be a part of. And that's, that's exciting for me because, you know, growing up that outside of your individual club team and your friends on your team like that, it, it wasn't cool to play soccer. You're, it was cool to play football. It was cool to play, you know, basketball or, or whatever. Soccer wasn't the top thing and it's becoming the top thing. Um, and a lot of that has in, in Kansas city, a lot of it has to do with sporting and the success the team has had and how much the ownership has put into it because it's not just, you know, sporting park or children's mercy park. It's the developments of, um, you know, the Wyandotte fields. I mean, there's, there's just so many more opportunities for kids to play soccer that weren't there in the past. And like I said, it's just become cool. And I know I'm rambling, but that's, that's the best word I can think of. No, that is cool. I mean, there, there's always a cool factor that is at least an entry point for a lot of people. Like there's so many things that I'm sure I did as a kid that I was like, Oh, that looks cool. I'm going to do that. And so it's important to have that perception out there. And just to kind of tie back, like my great uncle, who of course was playing, you know, decades ago said that they used to get made fun of it. Like, what are these guys doing? Run around and like, why are you guys running around in shorts? what is soccer like what is it so like that was a real thing that like again outside of the the Mm. core teammates who played it was not necessarily a cool thing um to everybody else well and for cool factor like these watch parties i have I, i have half a dozen friends who are coming back home for the holiday to see their family and they're looking for something to do and they're just like we're coming down on friday you know like they they want it's a it's become a place to be which is again beyond our wildest dreams when I started playing soccer, it wasn't until my junior year of high school to try to get in shape for basketball. And it's exactly what you said, Seth. This was in, you know, inner city, Kansas City, Kansas in the 90s. Our athletic director thought that soccer was a sport for wimps who couldn't play football. You know, and the thing that the thing about it is now is there are still people that say that stuff. I mean, that's still out there. There's a segment of people that still don't think it's a legitimate sport and 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 all that, but it's cool enough now to where you just kind of roll your eyes and go, okay, you know, like you don't feel this indignation that, oh, I got to prove you that this really matters. If you don't want to be a part of this 12,000 person mob that's down here going nuts, fine. You know, that's your loss, you know, and because it's like you have that sense of security now. We know that Sporting Kansas City sells out their stadium every game. We know it's not going anywhere. The insecurity of, God, is soccer ever going to make it in this country? Like that's gone. Now it's just a matter of how big it's going to really be. And, and, and we get to be a part of that. And I think I'll go back to it. Peter Burmese made a great point uh, when he came up on stage on, uh, on, on the watch party on Monday, which is 
for those of us in Kansas City, and he was very passionate about this, we have to continue to step our game up because there are other teams in the league now that are doing the same things we're doing and doing it better. Like they learned what Kansas City did and built better stadiums, which is how it's supposed to go. Austin's online now. We've seen what teams like Seattle and Atlanta have done. And now there's a team right down the road in St. Louis that's going to be doing all that stuff. So it's up to us to up our game. And it's not just showing up for these watch parties. It's what are you going to do for every other soccer opportunity you have between now and four years from now to grow this game when the World Cup comes to Kansas City, that there are even more of us out there. And I think that's a that's a big message we could continue to deliver. Um, before we say goodbye, Seth, I just want to remind everybody, he's going to be there on Friday. Matt Beasler is going to be there on Friday. We're going to be interviewing Matt on stage as well. Um, they've got their amazing stuff at State Soccer. You should definitely go check that out. It's a Kansas City brand right there. By it's amazing. Guys. I wear mine all the time. Like it's the so comfy. Yes. are my absolute favorite. The beanies yep. are becoming a staple now that it's gotten cold. So if you need any recommendations, oh, I need a beanie. I oh, I have an extra one. I'll just if if I feel nice, I'll maybe give you it. I love the minimalist part of it where I can wear their stuff with anything because it's not like loaded up with logos that have to match something else. It's super comfortable. It's great. I'll certainly not getting paid to do it. I'm just giving it a plug. Go by and see them and support guys from Kansas City that are doing something cool that, you know, that help put this sport on the map here. And I'll just finish with this here, Seth. So what do you want to see on Friday? Like what, what are maybe some of the things you're going to be looking for from this U.S. team for them to try to get a result against England? Yeah, I think I think they're going to need – I mean, this is – I feel like I'm throwing out these cheesy lines and stuff, but they just need a play as a unit because anybody that watches the Premier League, you look at this roster from England, and it is Premier League players up and down, not just you know role players like studs from the Premier League. This is a very, very strong England roster, so – they, they got to be together defensively. They got to be compact and take their chances when they can. Um, I, I think we might be a little bit surprised at how well the U S does in this game. Um, I think they're probably a little disappointed with that, the way they gave up that uh, those three points against, against Wales. So um, I would expect a, a good energized start from the U S and um, you know, I, the biggest thing would not be falling behind early. Cause I think it's going to be tough to, to, to catch, play catch up with England. So um, compact defensively, take our chances on counters and um, have good energy. Those are the big things for me. Love it. I see Chad Reynolds writing it down right now. So we're going to keep those notes. Uh, Seth, we really appreciate the time. It's great to talk to you. And I want to say this as well as, as we say goodbye to Seth. Seth is on the uh, board of directors for the Victory Project. And we raised thousands of dollars on Monday with our first Victory Project raffle, which was a pe- – uh, was four people uh, trip out to Compass Minerals to watch a training session up close and in person and a meet and greet with the team and customized jerseys. We'll be doing a raffle again on Friday and all the money goes to the Victory Project, which is a great cause. I think it says so much about the club, about the people that play for the club, the fact that guys like Seth come back to town and not only do they live here, they're still invested in the club in the most important way, which is what they do for the community and the Victory Project sets at every one of those meetings contributing. So again, Seth, thank you so much for the time, man. We'll see you down there Friday. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Okay, that's Seth Sinovic. We're going to take a break. When we come back, you're going to get to find out, now that we've heard Seth's keys to the match, 
you get to hear Chad Reynolds, Connell McCourt, and Ali Trost Martin break down what they want to see in this game. USA England is coming up on Friday, and we've got this amazing podcast series and content series for you through Soccer Capital KC and Soccer Capital of America back after this. All right, back to wrap things up on this Soccer Capital of America podcast. We appreciate you uh, supporting all of our content. And again, on Friday after the game, we'll do another live Twitter spaces as well. Make sure you follow Soccer Capital KC on Twitter and all the social media channels so that you can get all the latest content from us as we keep grinding through. Hopefully, we'll be doing a happy uh, post-mortem on uh, on Friday after the game. Come on down to the Power and Light District. The game's at 1 o'clock on Black Friday. You better get your tickets. They're free, but you got to have them. And we're going to be past capacity. I'm just telling you. you and you're going to want to get there early for the game on Friday. All right, guys. Let's get a final thought here. Our picks to kick. Who do you got? If the United States is going to have a hero in this one, who's it going to be, Chad Reynolds? I think Greg Berhalter tweaks the system a little bit. I think he comes out in a bit more of a double pivot in the midfield. 4-2-3-1, absorb a little bit more pressure from England, and then beat them with the counter. And this team, it played like that against Mexico in important matches. I think on the counter, whoever's in the 10 role or that that underneath role is hugely important, whether it's Weston McKinney or Brendan Aronson or whomever. I know we got to pick one person. I'm going to go Brendan Aronson, my pick to kick. On Friday, Brendan Aronson. All right, Connell McCourt, where are you going with this? Um, I was thinking Aronson myself because I think he is a, a cert to start. Um, I'm going to go with Pulisic then because I think he definitely plays. He's, as I said, he's he's been shouldering a lot of the blame. Him and uh, Walker Zimmerman have from the Wales game, so I think he's coming in with a bit of a point to prove. I think they can, which I was saying, transitions where you're going to try and hurt England. There could be a bit of a spanner in the works if. Gareth Southgate reverts the tape and he plays two holders, which honestly is not beyond the PA. He could bring in Calvin Phillips and you know, play him and Rice just sitting, which I think will really affect the US. But they just hammered Iran 6 2. It would be crazy if they tried to change their system. But if you're doing that, I think Pulisic's the same. Maybe he's a bit, gets his head up a bit more, but set pieces in and around the area weren't great. In the last game, I think he'd be stepping up to hit them again. And for some reason, I just think there's a penalty in this game somewhere coming. So Pulisic is going to be the one to step up, and I think he'll score. Love it. Love the penalty shot. All right, Ali, uh, who do you have? All right, I'm also kind of going out on a limb with mine here. I do think that um, it, now if this, if this does happen where they maybe hand over the free kick responsibilities or maybe Pulisic kind of iron some things out, they're able to talk through it and – approach him a little bit better this game. I think we're going to see a, a set piece goal. And I think it's Walker Zimmerman redemption era. I think he's going to come in and blast one off of a header or some sort of recycled moment in the box. Uh, that's my, my pick to kick. Nate. Boy, where do I go? <laughs> now I am also hoping that we get some back line points. Cause if this works the same way that our sporting KC picks to kick worked, uh, I, th- I believe we get three points for a defender. We'll have to bring in our official Brad Martell to score this for us. Okay. All right. I'm trying to think where I want to go with this. Nobody took nobody took the goal scorer Timo Weah, right? Right. All right. I'll I'll go I'll go with this. This guy has been. I mean, he's he's been catching plaudits from Pele, 
on social media. He's, uh, you know, his, his father, the president of Liberia has come out in support of him. Uh, he's riding high. A star has a chance to be made here. And I like the way he took that chance he had. That was not a, uh, a an easy finish. I thought that was, that was cool as you like. And uh, maybe it's just going to be one of those tournaments where Tim Owea, the former Celts, by the way, uh, Kyle <laughs> McCourt, uh, really you know announces his presence. And that's the little motivational speech I'm going to leave you, our audience, with here today. Because I don't want us to go into this game fearing the worst on Friday. That's not who we are as Americans. We don't live in our fears. We live dreaming of the possibilities of things that others said uh, were, were impossible and, and ridiculous to dream of. And this young group of brash Americans have dreamed and dreamt, I should say, of the impossible of going over to Europe, to the biggest leagues over there where they've always said that Americans don't have the chops. They don't have the soccer IQ. They don't have the tactical awareness. They don't have the technical ability. And they had to go prove themselves as young men. And they don't know how to deal with the pressure of playing in a soccer mad country like Germany or England. And they've gone over there with a chip on their shoulder and a bit between their teeth, and they are showing everybody that they belong. So when we think about it, as upset as we are or were for the draw that we settled for against Wales, this World Cup is the first opportunity for these young guys on a global scale to announce to the international community, we belong here. And what better way to announce that presence than against England, against the team that invented this sport, against this all-star roster. You go have your great moment against Wales, that's fine. And everybody in the United States loves it. But nobody in Argentina cares. Nobody in the other countries in the world notice. You go out there and you write your name in the history book against England with your backs against the wall, immortality. And I think you have players that are on this team that dream of immortality and believe they're capable of it. Which one of those guys or which ones of those guys are going to do that on Friday? Let's go find out. Let's see who brings it home for the United States and let's believe they can really do it because they believe they can really do it. One o'clock on Friday. We'll see you afterwards on Twitter Spaces. And for Ali Trost Martin, Connell McCourt, and Chad Reynolds, and our special guest Seth Sinovic, this is Nate Bucati saying thanks for listening. And we'll be talking about a big result afterwards. And we'll see you down in the Power and Light District. I want to run through a wall, Nate. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> We're going to. Wow. Nate will also be giving a TED Talk on stage. Yeah. yeah. Nate, Nate, I, I actually, do you just want me to like roll that back so you can, you can hear it again and, uh, and, and just that's your speech at 1245 on Friday. That was, that was legit.